You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Laying aside all malice. Let me give you a working definition. Malice is a spirit of ill will with a desire to get even when wrong. You know, it expresses itself in this way. I will pay back. Listen, that should be absent from our life's experience. This should never be our attitude. We need to remember the Lord fights our battles for us. We don't need to defend ourselves. Never trade evil for evil. Don't ever trade evil for evil. In today's message from Pastor Mike, he shares with you that malice is when people want to get even, when they want to take vengeance on the things or people that have wronged them. However, Pastor Mike encourages you that the Lord fights your battles. It's not your job to see how you can get even or revenge. Bring all your cares and concerns to the Lord. Lay them down at His feet and wait for Him to act. He will, in the end, correct all wrongs. He is not far away from your pain. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, for today's edition of In My Father's House. So we want to begin by reading the first three verses of Scripture, therefore, and whenever you see a therefore or wherefore, the writer is drawing a conclusion as it relates to what had preceded it, all of the instructions, all of the things that we've been talking about, all of the lessons that we've learned over the last several weeks uh, as we've moved through chapter one. So therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. In other words, be just as enthusiastic as is a child looking to feed from its mother's breast, as it relates to our being as enthusiastic in receiving of God's word and obeying it, responding to the exhortations that are recorded for us here in this section of First Peter. In verse 3, he goes on along these same lines, and he says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. All of the things that we've been talking about that are recorded first in chapter 1. Our salvation, our redemption, our being purchased, our being ransomed, our being born again. All of which is made possible through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If that has been your experience, well then we have great reason and responsibility to receive these exhortations. To respond to the instructions that are before us, that is to go on to maturity. 
That's what this message is all about. Well, anyway, in the second chapter of Peter's epistle, the apostle uses several similes that assist us in grasping the truth of what it means to be a Christian. Whereas chapter 1 emphasized the importance of being born into the family of God, being born again, chapter 2 stresses the necessity of growth resulting from that new birth. I want you to notice the first comparison that Peter makes here is that of believers as newborn babes. And that's our first point, newborn babes. So what does that suggest to us? What is Peter trying to convey to us? What's the idea here? Well, listen, first of all, this is the way that God perceives you. This is the way that God sees us as newborn babes, as being precious. Even as we look at as a newborn child and we, you know, in our hearts, we think how precious that life is, that new birth. And that's exactly the way that God relates to us, as being precious. And also, that's the way that God cares for us, even as a parent cares for her or his newborn child. But even more than that, the idea here is that as parents expect their children to grow physically, so God expects his children to grow spiritually. You see, all true believers, born again of the Spirit of God, are to go on to maturity, on to perfection. Now, in the book of Hebrews in chapter 5, and I believe Paul is the writer of that book of the Bible, in chapter 5 and verse 12, beginning in verse 12, and then going up the remaining of that chapter and into the first verse of chapter 6, uh, reminds us of this very same thing, exhorts us along these same lines. So Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Let me read it for you. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. So obviously their growth in Christ has been stunned. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So they continue in that infantile state. Verse 14, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That's a part of that progression, God bringing us along to maturity. And then in chapter 6, in verse 1, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Okay, so, therefore, we are to become full-grown men and women in Christ. That's the idea here. And we would do well to duplicate the experience of Paul the Apostle, who left a great example for us to follow along. His faith was one of constant advance and progress. He was never satisfied where he was in the progression of his relationship with God. His eyes were always fixed on a goal to go forward. You know, he expressed that goal in the book of Philippians in chapter 3, in verses 13 and 14 where he says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, and it's interesting that he wrote this epistle, he wrote these words some 30 years after his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. But notice, he, there was a sense about him that he hadn't apprehended all that God wanted him to experience. 
He did not fully comprehend all that God wanted him to understand or comprehend. And so he goes on to declare, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, you know, all of the victories, all of the blessings, being profoundly used by God, uh, performing all of the miracles. He didn't rest on his laurels, in other words, but reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal or earnestly pursue after for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So what a great example Paul left for us. So we as Christians need to conform into the image of Jesus Christ, laying aside anything, every weight, evil habit, wicked desire that would stunt our spiritual growth. Now, let's go back to our text. Notice there in verse 1, Peter zeroes in on, and this becomes our second point, so write this down, five marks of immaturity that curtail this growth. Okay, so let's take them in the order as they are listed here for us in our text. In doing so, it's sort of like time to take an inventory. Just make sure that these things that would stunt our growth are absent from our lives. The first of which, notice, is malice. So under the heading, five marks of immaturity that curtail this growth, the first one is malice. Notice Peter here exhorts us, laying aside all malice. Let me give you a working definition. Malice is a spirit of ill will with a desire to get even when wrong. You know, it expresses itself in this way. I will pay back. Listen, that should be absent from our life's experience. This should never be our attitude. We need to remember the Lord fights our battles for us. We don't need to defend ourselves. Never trade evil for evil. In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 20, in verse 22, the book of wisdom, there Solomon tells us, do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will save you. Some great counsel. That's the way that we need to live our lives. You know, there's a story about Leonardo da Vinci while he was painting his masterpiece, The Last Supper. And while he was doing that, he vowed he would get even with a bitter enemy of his by painting him as Judas Iscariot. Could you imagine that? There was a sense of gratification in Leonardo's heart as he yielded to that temptation. But you know, later on, as he tried to paint the face of Jesus in that portrait, he was forced to give up in despair. Why? Realizing that such a task demanded a pure heart. And thus he put away his animosity, he admitted his vindictiveness, and quickly painted out the face of his enemy. And only then was he able to paint the face of Jesus. Now, how does this relate to you and me, this story? Well, think about it. In a similar way, no believer possessed by a vengeful spirit can effectively portray or serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the application. You see, only the heart which overflows with God's love for others can he or she be used in exalting the name of Jesus. Remember what we are exhorted to in the book of Romans, in chapter 12, in verse 19. There, beloved, do not avenge yourselves. And there we're reminded by Paul, 
vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Okay, so that's the first thing that needs to be absent from our lives. And then secondly, the next thing that would stunt our growth in Christ, we need to, according to Peter, lay aside all guile or deceitfulness. In other words, God's people are to be true blue. Men and women who are honest, of integrity, trustworthy, and real. You know, Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians in chapter 8, verse 21. Providing for honest things in the sight of the Lord and amen. That's the way that we are to conduct ourselves. That's the way that we are to live our lives. So, under no circumstances should a child of God endanger his testimony by stooping to little tricks of deceit or falsehood. You know, it was said of Abraham Lincoln, here's a good example of this, while he practiced law, that he would never accept a case unless he was absolutely convinced his client was innocent. In fact, on one occasion, as a man sought to employ him, convincingly sharing his case with Lincoln, after all of the facts were given him, Lincoln abruptly swung around in his chair and said, you have a pretty good case in technical law, but a pretty bad one in equity and justice. You will have to get someone else to win your case for you. Because I could not do it. All the while that I would be pleading your case before the jury and judge, I'd be thinking, Lincoln, you're a liar. And I might forget myself and say it out loud. And thus Lincoln excused himself. Gang, listen. Lying in all forms of guile, grieve the heart of God. It will stop you from advancing in the things of God. Also, in the book of Wisdom, as another cross-reference, Solomon tells us in the 13th chapter, in verse 5, a righteous man hates lying. Now, that brings us to the next issue that would halt our growth, and that is, notice in this list, hypocrisies. That is the pretense claiming to be what we're not. I'll give you an example of this, a form of this hypocrisy. You know, someone, and this has been out of my own experience, you know, someone comes to consult me about some problem. They've set up a counseling appointment. Some of the problem has to do with another person. So they begin to rehearse everything that's going on. And that other person that is involved, that other person is always wrong. And they always put the entire blame on that other uh, person. But you know what? In my experience and over the many years of counseling, I've always come to realize that there's always two sides to a story. And it takes two people to have a disagreement. So choosing to exalt self and degrade others, why do we do this? Well, that would be known as the sin of hypocrisy. This is just one of many ways that the sin can be revealed through a person's life. We employ clever speech as a subterfuge under which we hide our own inconsistencies while enlarging upon those of others. You know, how few of us are actually willing to admit our failures? If we want to be what God wants us to be, no sham, honest, right? I think we need to pray the prayer that the psalmist prayed, that's recorded first in the 26th Psalm in verse 2, examine me, O Lord, prove me, try my reins and my heart. 
Okay, let's go on. Peter then, notice, also names envy as another indication of infancy or jealousy. That Those words can be used interchangeably, envy or jealousy. Let me give you a working definition for this. The unwarranted desire for something someone else has and a malicious grudge towards the owner of it. So what do we need to do? Well, instead, we need to just give thanks to God for any achievement, any advancement, anything that God has placed within our hands, our friends in Christ, all of the blessings that we receive through them, anything that we receive. You know, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11 puts it this way, or Paul puts it this way, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And so we need to assume that same position. Listen, don't be concerned with what other uh, people uh, have. And then lastly, Peter speaks of the destructive trait of, notice here, evil speaking. That phrase, evil speaking, can literally be translated all sorts of slander or common ordinary uh, gossip. Now this is something that we need to be very careful about uh, how often we are tempted to do exactly that. Say something unkind about another person, you know, painting them in the, the darkest possible uh, view. And in doing so, in contrast, you know, it makes us to shine a little bit brighter. We shouldn't do that kind of a thing. But there's a temptation always with us to do exactly that. How we need to get control of our tongues. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Edification, to build up another person. So we need to use the words that we choose to build up other people. Listen, there are so many troublemakers in our world today. If we love Jesus, well, listen, just simply allow the Holy Spirit to place a guard over your mouth. Let us encourage with our speech rather than injure. Sow seeds of peace and blessing rather than division or discord. You know, there was this story of this little girl who once said to her mother, I was a peacemaker today, Mom. And the mother asked her if she had settled the quarrel for other people. Well, she replied, no, I knew something and I didn't tell it. Think about that, right? We could be a peacemaker by just simply not rehearsing the things that we've heard or we know about another person to injure them. Gang, we have considered five marks of immaturity that are listed for us here in this section of 1 Peter that shouldn't be discernible among mature Christians. So let me ask you this question. Does any of these traits characterize your life? Well, if so... Get the victory in Christ immediately. And yes, you can do that. The book of Philippians in chapter 4 and verse 13, we're reminded there, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, Christ will enable you to become this kind of a person that we've been talking about. But also another wonderful resource that God has made available to us. Notice the mention here of the word of God in verse 2. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. So as we get into the Word, as we study the Word, as we meditate upon the Word, 
All of these right desires that we've been talking about will come. And it's through the Word of God that it will enable us to become the kinds of people that God wants us to become. That is, to go on to maturity. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2. The text that we're going to be treating is found in verses 4 through 6. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame or dissatisfied. Okay, so Peter here, notice, uses this metaphor, lively stones or living stones, to describe some of the dominant characteristics of Christian living. And so anyway, chapter 2 is all about the Christian life, Christianity, and what it looks like. Now, this phrase, and this brings us to our first point, if you're taking notes, write this down. A living stone suggests certain things. Okay, so what are those things? Well, it suggests, first of all, life, living, and then stability, the strength of a stone, stability. So a living stone suggests life and stability. The idea here is that all who have received Jesus, who, by the way, is the embodiment of life and stability, so all who have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior are the possessors of his life, with the accompanying stability that enables us to face all the uncertainties of life. And listen, what a blessing this is when you consider how rapidly ever-changing is the world in which we live. And life is filled with all kinds of curves. Sometimes our life's experience changes for the uh, worse. Our circumstances, our situations, our relationships. So what an encouraging word this is. As a cross-reference, in the 62nd Psalm, in verse 2, there we are told, He only is my rock and my salvation, and He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Listen, gang, that is the believer's confidence. What? Who? Jesus Christ. So restless souls would find peace and security if they would just rest their troubled selves on the living stone who is Jesus Christ. But listen, unfortunately, in our day, as was the case during the days of Peter when he wrote this epistle, notice there in verse 4 we are told that Jesus was disallowed or rejected of men. And that becomes our second point, and that is disallowed of men or rejected of men. Man. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my That's all we have time for on today's edition of In My Father's House. Thanks for joining us. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. Be sure to subscribe and let us know you're a listener in the comments. 
We love seeing how God is using His Word in incredibly powerful ways. If you don't yet have a church to call home, we'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, you can reserve your seat by clicking on Contact and then the Register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to hear today's message again, or to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link, or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. Thanks again for joining us. We look forward to learning more from 1 Peter next time on In My Father's House. Trouble